0: so please excuse the various background noises, bumps in the night, and other disturbances that you might hear. It's a live reading in New York City, and anything can, and often does, happen. And now, on to this month's reading. We hope you enjoy the following recording, and we thank you for listening.
1: everybody. Hello there. Hello. Hello. Hi there. Welcome to Fantastic Fiction at KGB, a reading series that has been going on for a, over a decade. Um, it's run by me, I hear someone talking. Shut up! Shh. Shut up. <laughs> Please. I'm sorry. Shh. Thank you. Um, it's run by me, Ellen Datlow, and Matt Kressel, um, and we've been doing this for quite a bit, quite a long time. Matt's been doing it, how long did you say you were doing it? Uh, last month was I can't believe it. That's crazy. That means I've been doing it at least 15 or or 17. I mean, I was doing it, I started doing it with um, Terry Bisson, and after that, Gavin Grant. So, how many years have I been doing it? I don't know. (laughs) But a long time. Anyway, um, we've tried to bring you um, interesting readers from out of town and from in town of science fiction, fantasy, and horror, of YA material and um, adult material. And uh, our, this month, we have two readers, of course. Before I g- introduce our first reader, I just want to let you know what's coming up. Uh, June 20th, Lawrence Connolly and Mary Robinette Cole. Yay. July 18th, Angus McIntyre, your <laughs> here, local, and Brooke Bolander. Actually, they're both local. Uh, August 15th, we have Michael Weehunt and Jeffrey Ford. September 19th, Kids Johnson and Patrick McRaw. October 17th, Lawrence M. Schoen and Tim Pratt. November 21, Leanne uh, Renee Heber and someone else <laughs> TK. December 19th, uh, Nicole Corner Stace and Maria Devana Headley. January 16th, we have Julie C. Day and Victor Laval. Uh, April 17th, we'll skip, we skip, we have spots. And <laughs> April 17th, we have Nathan Ballingred and R.K.D. Martin. And May 15th, we have Simon Stronson's. Oh, that was May, not March, anyway, sorry. Sorry. Okay, and we'll be filling in the blanks over the next few weeks, months, whatever. So our first reader tonight is Carolyn M. Yoakim. Yoakim, I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Yoakim. Yoakim, right. Now, Carolyn, she, both Tina and Caroline were students of mine at Clarion West. I don't remember what year. 2006. Jesus. That's 12 years ago. So they've really made something of themselves. Not thanks to me, but thanks to our talent. So I really want to, I'm really pleased that they're reading here tonight and reading together. Um, So Carolyn is the author of over 100 short stories. Her fiction has been translated into several languages, reprinted in best of anthologies and is available in her debut collection Seven Wonders of a Once and Future World and Other Stories which is for sale. Please come and buy it and she will sign it, she will inscribe it, whatever you want, with whatever you want. <laughs> her 2017 short story Carnival Nine is a Nebula and a Hugo finalist. For more about Caroline check out her website at carolineyokum.com. Please welcome Caroline Emma Yokum.
2: super excited that I finally made it out to one of these. I have been hearing about them for years and of course I'm from Seattle so getting all the way out to New York for readings is really tough. Um, I'm, I managed to combine it with a trip to Pittsburgh because the Nebula Awards are this weekend so um, I got to fly across the country once and get two things done which is always a good thing. Um, I'm going to read to you today from Carnival 9 which is um, as Ellen said up for a Hugo and a Nebula and a Locus Award and I'm really excited. i um, And um, I'm not gonna get through the whole thing. It's a pretty long story, but it is available online. So if you like what you hear, you can go and read the rest at Beneath Ceaseless Skies. One night when I was winding down to sleep, I asked Papa, how come I don't get the same number of turns every day? Sometimes the maker turns your key more and sometimes less, but you can never have more than your mainspring will hold. You're lucky, Z. You have a good mainspring. He sounded a little wistful when he said it. He never got as many turns as I did, and he used most of them to do boring grown-up things. Take me to the zoo tomorrow? The zoo on the far side of the closet had lions that did backflips, and elephants that balanced on brightly colored balls. I have to take Granny and Gramps to the mechanic to clean the rust off their gears. Papa never had any turns to spare for outings and adventures, which was sad. I opened my mouth to say so, but the whir of my gears slowed to where I could hear each click, and I closed my mouth so it wouldn't hang open while I slept. (coughs) What Papa said was true. I have a good mainspring. Sometimes I got 30 turns and sometimes 46. Today, on this glorious summer day, I got 52. I'd never met anyone else whose spring could hold so many turns as that, and I was bursting with energy. Papa didn't notice how wound up I was. He has a tune-up this morning and Gramps is getting a new mustache. If you untangle the thread for me, you can use the rest of your turns to play. But always work first so you don't run out of turns. His legs were stiff and he swayed as he walked along the wide wood plank that led out from our closet. He crossed the train tracks and disappeared into the shadow of the maker's workbench. Tonight, when he came back from his errands, he'd bring a scrap of fabric or a bit of thread. Papa sewed our clothes from whatever he could find from what the maker dropped. The whir of his gears faded into silence and I tried to untangle the thread. It was a tedious chore. The delicate motion of picking up the single brightly colored strands was difficult on a tight spring. A train came clacking along the track and with it the lively music of the carnival. Papa had settled down here in Closet City, but Mama was a carny. Based on the stories, Papa told, sneaking out to the carnival would be a good adventure. Clearly I was meant to go, The carnival had arrived on a day when I had more turns than I'd ever had before. I gathered up my prettiest buttons and skipped over to the brightly painted train cars. It was early, and the carnival had just arrived, but a crowd had already formed. Everyone clicked and whirred as they hurried to see the show. The carnies were busy, too, unfolding train cars into platforms and putting up rides and games and ropes for the acrobats. I passed a booth selling scented gear oil and another filled with ornate keys. I wondered if the maker could wind as well with those as with the simple silver one that protruded from my back. A face painter with an extra pair of arms was painting two different customers at once, touching up the faded paint of their facial features and adding festive swirls of green and blue and purple. Two kinds of paint, the painter called to me. The swirls will wash right off with soap. It was meant to be a reassurance, but it backfired. The trip from the closet to the bathroom took seven turns each way, so soap was hard to come by. Papa would be angry if I came home painted. Catch two matching fish and win a prize, a Kearney called. He was an odd assemblage of parts, with one small brown arm and one bulky white one. His legs were slightly different lengths, and his ceramic face was crisscrossed with scratch marks. He held out a long pole with a tiny net on the end, a net barely big enough to hold a single fish. Don't, don't they all match? I leaned over the tub to study the orange fish. They buzzed quietly and some mechanism propelled them forward and sent out tiny streams of bubbles behind them. The man dipped the net into the water and caught one of the fish. He flipped over a panel on its belly and revealed a number, four. The fish are numbered one through 10 and you'll get to pick three. Any two of them match and you win. I eyed the prizes. An assortment of miniature animals, mostly cats, all with tiny golden keys. Keys so small that even I could turn them. So there'd be no need to wait each night for the maker to wind them up. Take these buttons and trade? The man laughed. No, but if you didn't buy any tickets, I'll let you work for a play. A turn for a turn, as they say. Unlike Papa, he could see how tight I was wound, and he put me to work hauling boxes from his platform to a car on the far end of the train. The work was satisfying, and it let me gawk at the rest of the carnival. When I was done, he handed me the net. Any three fish that catch a fancy, good luck. The net was long and hard to handle, but I dipped it into the water. It came up empty and dripping. Fishing was not as easy a task as the man had made it look. I tried again and this time brought up a fish that whirred loudly as it came up out of the water. The man pushed in a pin to stop the gears and flipped open a panel to reveal the number eight. My next two fish were numbered three and four. Do any of them match? I handed back the net, frowning and studying the pool. There were easily a hundred fish. I guess with that many, there must. You have to look closer at the fish. A freckled-faced kid climbed up onto the platform. He scooped up a flit, fish, checked the number on the bottom, and then studied the pond. This one's a six, so I just have to find a match. With a smooth practiced motion, he dipped the net back in and pulled out another fish. He showed me the number on the bottom, another six. How did you? One of the sixes has a busted tail, swims in circles. But, but the other one, what, what if you've gotten something else? This one has a chip of paint missing. I'm Z end of Vale, he said, but added quickly, you can call me Vale. Hey pops, okay if I take my free turns to show Z around? The man writing the fish game studied us for a minute, then nodded. Vale took my hand. Come on, you gotta hear the nightingale sing. She's amazing. So off we went. The nightingale turned out to be a woman with brown feathered wings that matched her dark skin. Vale wasn't lying. She sang beautifully any song that the crowds shouted to her. For 12 turns, we explored the carnival. We watched the acrobats and lost the ring toss game and rode on the backs of the dancing bears. Then Vale had to stop because he didn't have so many turns as me. You seem to know everyone at the carnival, I said, when we sat down at the edge of an empty platform. Do you know my mother? She's very distinctive, a woman with eight spider legs. Oh, oh, I've heard of her, Lady Arachna, right? She's Carnival Four. Carnival Four? Vail gestured down at the platform below us. You can't see it with the platforms folded down, but the train cars are numbered so they stay matched up. All the cars in this train are marked 9, so we're Carnival 9. Pops and I are here because they had an empty platform for him to run his game. My other dad is Carnival 2 because he's an acrobat, and 9 already has more acrobats than we really need. So you never see him? There's only one track through here, but the trains run the whole house with cities along the route where we stop and entertain folks. Some places there are clusters of tracks where the trains pass each other or turn around. I've seen him a couple times. We talked a bit more and he snuck me in to see the bearded lady and a snake man whose skin was covered in iridescent green scales. The carnival was amazing and I never wanted to leave, but I could feel the tension leaving my spring. I only had a few turns left, barely enough to get home. I have to go. I'm almost out of turns anyway. I hopped down from the platform. Vale put his hand on my shoulder. I lied about some of the fish looking different. There's no missing paint or broken tails. The fish have more than one number, depending on which way you open the panels. Don't tell Pops I told you. Something passed between us, then, in that moment where he trusted me. Something that meant more than all the marvels I'd seen. It didn't even occur to me to get angry that the game was rigged until I was halfway home. <laughs> you didn't untangle the thread, Papa said when I came in. The multicolored jumble of thread was still on the table where I'd left it. I had so much energy and the train brought the carnival. Go to bed, Z. We're out of turns. I spent my days untangling threads and learned to sew scraps of fabric into clothes. On my 200th day, Papa took me into town and we swapped out my child-sized limbs for adult ones and repainted my face. Trains came and went, but I never had enough extra turns to visit the carnival. Then one morning, Papa came back from the city early, pulling a wheeled cart. What happened? Granny and Gramps wound all the way down. But the maker can wind them up again tonight, and Papa shook his head. No, there comes a time when our bodies can't hold the turns. We all get our thousand days, give or take a few. Then we wind down for the last time. It is the way of things. I knew we didn't go on forever, because some of my friends were made of parts from the Closet City Recycling Center. The Recycling Center melted down old parts to make new ones, so I I knew... But at the same time, I'd never known anyone who was broken down for parts before. Granny had painted my face, and Gramps always told the best stories about the maker. I wish I could have visited them before they wound down. I didn't know they'd go today. They were only in their early 900s. Are you going to take them to the recycling center? He shook his head. The recycling center is well stocked, but carnivals are often hurting for parts. When the next train comes, we'll take them there. I knew it wasn't right to be excited on the day that Granny and Gramps died, but while I waited to wind down to sleep, I couldn't help but imagine all the marvels we would see. The next train turned out to be number nine. I was a little disappointed because I'd already seen most of Carnival Nine, but then I remembered Vale and how he'd shared the secret trick with the fish. I I didn't see him as I followed Papa to the platform at the front of the train or while we laid Granny and Gramps out on the red-painted wood. One of the carnival mechanics knelt next to Granny, and Papa leaned over and whispered, I am going to stay to watch them disassembled, but you don't have to. You did your turns helping me pull this cart to get them here. The mechanic peeled away the fabric that covered Granny's torso and unscrewed her metal chest plate. I wanted to remember her whole, not in tiny pieces. I squeezed Papa's hand, then let go and walked along the length of the carnival. Vale found me halfway down the train. He had swapped out his childhood limbs, and when they repainted his face, they'd gotten rid of his freckles. His hair was darker now, which suited him. He put his hand on my shoulder. Sorry about your grandparents. How did you... He shrugged. Pop saw you when you came in. He said I could have some turns off if you want to watch the acrobats. There was a gleam in his eyes when he said it, and it sounded like a good adventure. Vale took me to a huge green-and-white striped tent next to the train tracks, and we held hands and watched the acrobats as they walked tight ropes and leapt between swings suspended high above the ground. I loved the show, but halfway through, Vale stopped watching. Seen this show too many times, I asked? No. Well, yeah, but mostly it reminds me of my dad. Pops is great, but we don't always get along so well. He wants me to take over the fish someday, but I hate that the whole thing is a cheat. I wouldn't have minded staying for the rest of the show, but I didn't want him to be sad. We snuck out and headed back to the train. Can you switch carnivals? I'm not built to be an acrobat like Dad. My parts aren't that good. Really, all I'm built for is running a game, and if I'm going to do that, I might as well stay here. You could leave. You could stay in Closet City, I said, suddenly aware that we were still holding hands. It's, well, it's terribly boring, actually. (laughs) He laughed. It was getting late, and he was nearly out of turns. I was thinking I might come up with a different game, one that's hard but doesn't involve any cheats. I couldn't quite keep the disappointment off my face. I almost wished I hadn't said anything about Closet City being boring, but it was the complete truth. Yeah, I guess it'd be hard to give up the adventure of the carnival to stay in a place like this. He pulled me closer and spoke softly in my ear. Why don't you come with me when the carnival moves on? Papa could take care of himself, and I was old enough to go. I told Papa on our walk home, and the next morning I packed up my things and said goodbye. It was a sudden shift, an abrupt departure, but Papa understood that I had always been restless. He loved me enough to let me go. When the carnival moved on, I went with it, with Vale. Five trains were at the Grand Junction when we arrived and Vale Vale helped me find Carnival 4 so that I could look for my mother. He would have stayed, but Carnival 2 was at the junction as well and I told him to go visit his dad. Vale and I would have plenty of time together later and I wanted some time alone with my mother. I hadn't seen her since I was new. She was easy to find, her train clearly labeled the Amazing Spider Woman, with pictures of her painted large on the side of the car. I knocked on the door and she slid it open, staring down at me and tapping one of her forelegs. Yeah? My gears whirred, tightened my chest. She didn't recognize me. And, and why would she? My, my limbs were different, my face was repainted, she had left a child and I was a woman now. I'm Z. I came with Carnival 9, and and I wanted, well, to see you, I guess. Oh, my daughter, Zee. Her foreleg went still, and she tilted her head, studying me. What is it you do with Carnival 9? Vale is teaching me to run one of the games, I admitted, knowing that it was one of the lowest jobs in the carnival. Being an acrobat or a performer required more skill, but the games were mostly con jobs. Nearly anyone could do it with enough practice. Mother didn't say anything, and the silence stretched long and awkward between us. Papa is still in Closet City, I told her, more to fill the silence than anything. We lost Granny and Gramps a few weeks back. I tried to think of more news from Closet City, but since Mother had stayed with the train, she probably wouldn't know most of the people I'd grown up with. It was a strange feeling, my strong desire to bond with someone who was a complete stranger. In my mind, the meeting had gone differently. She had loved me simply because I was her daughter, and we'd had a connection. I'm sorry to hear they've wound down. She paused for a moment. Look, I'm really not the maternal sort. It's why Lars took you to Closet City to raise you. I'm, well, I'm not very nice. I'm I'm selfish. I like to use all my turns for myself, and... I never spared a lot of turns for my relationship with Lars. I certainly never had enough for you. I didn't know what to say to that. I wanted to be angry with her, but she was a stranger. She'd never been part of my life. That was how things were. I was used to it, but I was disappointed. Sad that my dreams about reuniting with my mother had died. We talked a little bit longer about nothing of importance, and then I went back to Carnival Nine, home to Vale. I vowed that I would not be like my mother. I was blessed with a lot of turns and I would use them for more than just myself. The train took us in slow circles, stopping to perform at the cities. I settled into the routine of carnival life, collapsing the walls of our train car to make our platform, setting up the dart game that Vale designed, packing everything away again when it was time to move along. The days blurred one into the next, obscuring the passage of time. Then one day I realized that I was over 400 days old, which meant that I had been with the carnival longer than I'd lived in Closet City. I wasn't old yet, but I was no longer young. You sure you're ready to do this? Vale took me to the front car where all the parts were. Hmm. I nodded. Our train's next stop was the maker's workbench. This was the right time for us to make our child. He started picking through the gears, laying out everything we'd need to build a child. My half-sister has these great pincers like lobster claws. I, I thought maybe he could look more like us. Carnies came with a wide variety of parts, which was fun for shows, but the more outlandish ones all reminded me of my mother. Hands would be more versatile if we ever settle down in a city. What if he doesn't want to be a performer? Vale frowned. He could change his parts, I suppose. But what happened to your sense of adventure? When I'd lived in Closet City, the carnival had been exciting for the brief time it had stayed, but being part of the carnival, well, the obligations of life and livelihood had sucked away the wonder. It was the novelty that had drawn me here, and half a lifetime later, the novelty had worn away but I couldn't bring myself to say so to Vale. So if he wants pincers when he's older, he can swap out his limbs that way, too. I kept my voice calm, but worry gnawed at me. We had agreed on building a boy, but we hadn't talked much about the details. I rummaged through the pile until I found an arm, dark-skinned like the nightingale lady, but smaller, child-sized. It didn't have a match, but there was another one that was only slightly paler. Would anyone notice? Probably someone had already taken the other half of each set. What about these? Okay. He was less enthusiastic now, and I felt bad that I'd shot down his first suggestion so quickly. I looked for parts that would be a compromise, interesting enough for him, but nothing as extreme as my mother's spider legs, nothing that would evoke memories of a woman who thought it would be a waste of turns to raise me. We worked quietly for a while, the silence awkward. Finally, he pulled out a face, an ordinary shape, but painted with streaks of black and white. He held it up. I hated it. But it was only paint. Paint could easily be removed and redone later. It was less work than swapping out parts. And the structure of the face underneath was good. I nodded, and it broke the tension. Dad said there might be a place for us at Carnival, too, working the show with the dancing bears. He kept his gaze firmly on our son, focusing his attention on attaching the black and white streaked head to the still empty torso. It'd be a step up from running a dart game, a better position for our son. Thinking about our son working a show at the carnival made me remember my own childhood. I had always wanted adventure, but now dancing bears seemed more dangerous than glamorous. Life on the tracks was harder, even for me, with all my turns. Carnival folk almost never made it to a thousand days. Their springs gave out when people were in their 800s, sometimes even sooner. I I want what's best for him. Vale took my hand and smiled. Me too. The train took us to the maker's bench and we laid out our son's body, chest open. Tonight, the maker would give him a mainspring and wind him for the very first time. Should we name him now or after we've gotten to know him? My parents had waited. to name me until my second day because they wanted to be sure that the name would fit it's good luck to name him before he goes to the maker he'll get a better mainspring that way what about Mats that was my granddad's name I thought about my granddad and all the stories he told about the maker my granddad was Edden what about Matten we could still call him Mats for short Vale nodded slowly his spring winding down I like that. The maker gave me 43 turns on the day I met my child. My darling Matin got only four. Something was wrong with his mainspring. I was definitely no mechanic, but I could hear it, a strained and creaking noise like metal bending to its breaking point. And that is where I am going to leave you tonight. <laughs> the rest of the story is online, so I hope you'll look
1: it up. And it's not in your collection, so read it online. Um, anyway, uh, we'll be taking a 10 minute break or so and uh, have a drink and keep the drinks flowing. They, uh, they don't charge us here. All right, they don't charge us, but they'd love us to drink, alcohol or not. Tip your bartenders well. Come
0: back. You have been listening to the Fantastic Fiction at KGB podcast, recorded live at the KGB bar. I'm Rajan Khanna. We hope you enjoyed what you heard, and we thank you for listening. We also wish to thank Gordon Lindzer for providing the audio. And always, thanks to our many fans of Fantastic Fiction at KGB for supporting us all these years. See you next month.